a this is a vision partner conversation. Um, it's a just a quick uh, podcast recording of the talk. We're doing kind of a vision talk tonight, and we're going through discussing and doing a little bit of feedback on the idea of a healthy discipleship culture. And so I thought it would be good to. There's an, a few people who aren't going to be there tonight, and and a couple people asked if we could maybe do a video or something, and I thought. Audio would be fine for this, so there's this audio you can listen to, and then there's a form that I'll send along with it, so you can kind of participate in the in the feedback portion as well. So, but we're talking about a healthy discipleship culture, culture that actually changes lives. So, a healthy discipleship culture is a discipleship culture that actually leads to and does not get in the way of and hinder real life change. People becoming more like Jesus. People um, becoming individuals who better fulfill uh, the greatest commandments, which we're talking about in church right now to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And so what we're going to do in this meeting is we're going to um, we're gonna reflect back on, on a little bit on what we've done as a church um, and how well we've lived out a healthy discipleship culture. And, um, and then hopefully that helps us kind of level set for moving forward, what that's going to mean looking forward. I can look back at these past years and, and what we're about to get into. I can see so many ways that personally as as a pastor and as a leader, that I've missed the mark in these areas. Um, and so we want to do a better job moving forward with these things. So that there's a tool that we're using for this, and it's um, it's a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro. Pete Scazzaro, um, that's kind of his ministry. He's a longtime pastor out in, in, uh, in Queens, New York, and um, he is now kind of retired-ish from pastoral ministry and, and focuses on his emotionally healthy discipleship stuff. But he is, um, don't let that name, the emotional, the emotions part of that um, kind of turn you off to the idea of emotionally healthy discipleship, really what it is when, when he talks about it, when he digs into it more. It's just about being able to go deeper inside yourself and in your inner life, in your, in your discipleship. And emotions are a big part of that. So things like self-awareness, a healthy inner life, being able to slow down and live slowed down rhythms of life. And so these are things that if you if you actually look back at over the last year or two, these are things that um, myself and, and John Adams, you know, the pastors, uh, really have been learning for ourselves and trying to incorporate into into our lives and, and into the life of the church. But in, in his book, he talks about seven kind of pillars of a healthy discipleship culture. And I'm going to talk through them just a little bit right now. And at the meeting, we're going to discuss them together. The first one is be before you do. This is the simple idea that it's more important to be with God than it is um, to do for God. That what we do, the ways that we serve others, the ways that we serve, whether it be the church or whatever it is, that those things would come out of a grounded identity in who we are first. Think about the story of Mary and Martha. Martha was doing, but Mary was simply being. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's not that we're not supposed to do anything. It's not that serving others isn't important and good. It is all of those things. The Bible talks a ton about serving one another in love, meeting other people's needs, putting others before yourself, all of those things. But that should come from a grounded place of being first. So who does God say that I am, separate from what I do? I think about the the WWJD bracelets that were really popular uh, when I was a kid. What would Jesus do, you know, and... uh Really, the more important question is, who was Jesus? <laughs> you know, we, it goes right, even in that, it goes right to doing. So who is Jesus? 
and who would Jesus have me be versus what would Jesus do and going right to the, the activity. When we started our church, we very quickly moved right to doing. And um, there were a lot of reasons for that. We learned a lot of things from that. But one of these things that we want to pursue moving forward is to be before we do. So in, in the in the survey, you'll go through that and you'll you'll for all of these, you'll ask these simple questions and, and answer them. How well do you understand this principle? Do you agree that it is true and important? How well do you believe that you live it out? And how well do you think that we live it out as a church community? So the first one is be before you do. The second one is follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. And uh, Pete Scazzaro, he has a podcast that goes into these in a lot more detail. But basically, the American, the Americanized Jesus is a version of the gospel that is okay with consumeristic, um, just a consumeristic approach to church, relationships, families, um, politics, all of that stuff. Because ultimately, what really matters is whether or not you're going to heaven when you die. Um, and that does matter, but that's an incomplete gospel. The gospel of you need to accept Jesus into your heart so that you go to heaven is that's not a complete picture at all of what of what Jesus preaches. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, the crucified Jesus preaches the whole gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, of restoring things, making all things new, of laying down our idols and selfishness in order to love God with all of our heart, souls, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So a healthy church co- culture, number two, follows the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Piece number three is that we uh, a healthy church culture embraces God's gift of limits. A healthy discipleship culture embraces God's gift of limits. So we have we are limited um, in what we can do, and I think not just accepting but embracing those limits is important. And it can be difficult in church because there's always going to be another person who's asking for. For me, I know there's people you know every every Sunday or just about every Sunday there's someone who comes up and asks about something that I can't give them at that time. So they might say like, hey, do you have, I'm looking for a Bible study that's this, or I'm looking for a, the, you know, and we don't have, I mean, we're a small church. We don't have like a program for every single person. And so it's been hard at times for us to embrace those limits. And it's been really difficult for us at times to tell people, I'm sorry, we simply don't have that. We simply don't have a small group for you to jump into right now. We simply don't have a men's Bible study or a women's ministry or, or, or whatever the thing is that they want, we don't have that. So we, we, we need to get better as a church um, at embracing those limits and we're recognizing that need and looking back at times over the last seven, eight years where we've responded to needs and tried to be what people needed. Um, so we're trying to be better about embracing time limits, uh, embracing resource limits, but then beyond that, in terms of our internal needs, we're trying to be better about embracing our relational limits. We can't, I can't be friends with everybody in the church, right? Um, John Adams can't be friends with everybody in the church. Nobody can. We have relational limits. We can't really be connected with everybody. We have mental limits. There's only so much that we can keep in our brains and we have emotional limits. Um, we cannot, um, we cannot just shoulder things all the time. Um, and so we are trying to be better about embracing those limits and trying to shift in our culture towards having leadership, whether that's, um, you know, vision partners, elders, um, our ministry team leaders and staff and pastors, um, to embrace those limits. Number four, discover treasures buried in grief and loss. So 
this is the idea that there is a lot of growth, a lot of good that can come from grieving and working through grief and loss. In a lot of cases, we try to simply get over things and move, move on, stay busy, avoid. Um, and this idea is that in a, in a healthy discipleship culture, in a culture where lives are truly changed, um, we don't do that. We, we stay in those moments and we grieve through them. We grieve with one another. When we fail to properly grieve losses, um, they can be they can be huge ones. They can be something as big as losing a loved one. You know, a loved one dies, something devastating like that, or something that that is seemingly smaller, like a, a disappointment, a core disappointment, or a loss of a what you thought a relationship was, something like that. Even something like that, if we don't properly process and grieve those things, we can become really bitter. And but when we move through things and come out the other side, we can come out the other side better able to love God and others. And as a church, we've experienced quite a bit of loss in the last uh, year to 18 months. And as pastors um, and as people who have been here, um, not just the pastors, but people who have been here for a while, um, we're still grieving that. We're not over it, so to speak. Um, There's people that we cared about deeply who um, don't attend our church anymore, and we're still working through that. Um, and there, it's not a matter of putting a simple kind of Christianese answer on it and saying, well, God called him somewhere else. Um, in a lot of cases, that really hurts. Um, but what we don't want to do is become bitter. And so what we're trying to do is move through this difficult season and come out the other side healthier as, as a result. The fifth one is break the power of the past. So the fifth pillar of a healthy dis- discipleship culture is breaking the power of the past. And this one is a little bit tricky for people who have grown up in church because we tend to think of the past as something that is behind us and is no longer part of our life in the sense that, you know, God doesn't remember our sins. He chooses to forget them. Um, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, those sorts of things. There's a lot of truth in those things um, for sure. Um. But we also, I think there's a part of us, we want to believe that life, complete life transformation happens in a moment. You know, we hear testimonies, you know, I was, uh, I was addicted to drugs, I was this, I was that, and God met me when I was, in, you know, in my darkest moment, and my life has been changed, you know. Again, we believe in that. We do absolutely, of course, believe that, um, that Jesus heals, that sometimes um, that lives are changed in a way that's miraculous, absolutely. But... An always forward, never back mentality, while it's normal for church, um, it's not always healthy. Because what we don't want to do is go back to our older selfish ways. But what we do need to do sometimes is reflect back, not pretend that our past didn't happen, process through things, grow through things. Um, because we all have a past. We need to ask God to not just forgive our past, Forgive our sins. Again, that sometimes we simplify the gospel down to, am I getting into heaven or not? We don't want to just ask God to forgive our past. We want God to walk us through healing and, and, and rising above and, and transcending our past as well. Again, so that we can better love him and others. And we all have a past. And um, for some, it could be something like working through anger, bitterness, lies, and shame from your past. Um, for others, it's more severe, like there's severe hurt, severe trauma in your past. 
for others still, it could be it could be more about sorting out what is genuine faith in Jesus versus what are family patterns and learned behaviors and cultural norms that I, that I've normalized in my life. That's a past as well. So we're all called to break out of what our past was and live into a life in Christ. And so when we hear about that, when we hear about like, you know, breaking the power of the past, we tend to think about like, well, my past, you know, you might be someone who grew up in church and you don't have huge trauma in your life. You don't have like a crazy testimony of deliverance. And so you say, well, that's for the people who have that. And um, it is for them, but it's for you as well. We all have, we all have some sort of strongholds um, related to our past. It could be something as simple as how we, how we handle disappointment in our kids is, is based on the model we had in our own, in our, when we were kids. Right. So it's not all like huge. Um, doesn't have to be huge traumatic things for us to still want to pursue and desire to move past, move out of that, move out of our past and into what God is calling us into. So yeah, overcoming your past isn't just for people with crazy pasts. It's for all of us. Number six, make love the measure of maturity. A healthy discipleship culture makes love the measure of maturity. John 11, verses 34 through 35, Jesus says to his disciples, like, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So if as a church we are failing to love one another, people outside of the church will see us and say, okay, well, that's not, they'll either call us hypocrites or they'll say, well, the, the, you know, um, I don't want to follow that, basically. And so with all the other things, with all the imperfections, with all the challenges that the church has, something as simple as being loving to one another is, is really core to our witness, and it is the correct measure of a mature Christian, a disciple in Jesus. Do we love one another? It's not Bible knowledge, church attendance, hours served. It's love for one another. And love shows up in a lot of ways. It's not just like... Um, it's not just being a people person. It's not just wanting to be around people all the time. It's being there in hard times. It's forgiving and asking for forgiveness. It's working through conflict. It's sacrificing for people that you love and care about and, and are in community with. Basically, if you have kids, it's everything that you'll do for your kids because you love your kids like crazy, right? And if that's you, there is on some level a call that we, we should be saying, we should have some desire to do that same thing for one another, another as well, to love each other in our church family in the same way that we love our own kids. Because with, with your kids, I, I tell my kids all the time, I'm proud of you and I love you and I, I can't help it. It doesn't really matter what you do. I just, I have this like heart exploding affection for you. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just there because you're my kid, right? We should have some of that for each other as well. We should not be content to simply go our separate ways every time there's conflict and never talk to that person again. We should not be content to live in unforgiveness um, or to to just be disconnected or to not be there for one another. Love is the measure of discipleship, and it's the measure of maturity. Okay, last, number seven, is leading out of weakness and vulnerability. So a healthy church culture, a healthy discipleship culture, leads out of weakness and vulnerability. And um, that means it's not out of strength, appearance, ability, or personality. 
It means we don't say, follow me, I know everything. Follow me, I know where we're going. Follow me, I'm a strong leader. Follow me um, because I am the epitome of, of, of leadership or something like that. It's, it's, it's leading out of a place of weakness and vulnerability. So I try to do this. I'm not, by no means do I do this perfectly, but I do try to do this um, in the ways I lead in our church. I try to, if I'm going to talk about mistakes that we've made, I try to lead with myself in, and in, in seeing ways that I've, um, I've failed. Right. So coming out of that weakness and vulnerability, we really shouldn't have a Sunday best. And the Sunday best idea has kind of gotten um, moved to like the social media world as now as well, where we all kind of have an Instagram version that we try to put out for people or a Facebook version or whatever. Um, but what we, what we should be presenting to people is one person that should be our genuine selves. Doesn't matter if it's Sunday morning, doesn't matter if it's at work, doesn't matter if it's on Instagram, wherever we are. And when we try to lead, when we try to lead in our church context, whatever capacity you are called to do that in, whether it's um, leading in a ministry team setting or a, a small group setting, a circle setting, um, or if it's just Sunday mornings of how can I help others get connected, whatever it is, leading really, ultimately, this is a John Maxwell quote, but it's it's kind of a universal thing. Leading is really just thinking about others and not yourself. That's what leading is. And when we lead out of weakness and vulnerability, we think about others, we find ways to put others first and try to bring them along, but not not in a way of saying, be like me. Um, I'm, I've got it all figured out. Don't you want to have it all figured out? But rather to lead out of weakness and vulnerability. So we're going to continue to explore these seven pillars of a, of a healthy discipleship culture. I'm going to recap them one more time. First one is be before you do. Second is follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Third is embrace God's gift of limits. Fourth is discover treasures buried in grief and loss. Fifth is break the power of the past. Sixth is make love the measure of maturity. And seventh is lead out of weakness and vulnerability. We're taking some time to step back, to look at what we do as a church, and to look at this discipleship culture because we want to be a place of life change. We want to be a place where people's lives, not necessarily in a moment, but over time, are made to look more like Jesus. They are, they are brought to a place where they can better love God and love others. That that would be our culture. And sometimes um, sometimes over the years, I think we've, not only have we missed the mark on that, but we've, we've even gotten in the way of that with our desire to get everyone connected, to keep growing, to keep moving along. And so we're taking a step back and we're looking at these seven pillars. We're going to take some time with them. Um, even... You know, even probably into next year at the vision partner level. So reflect on them, fill out the form that came along with this. And if you have questions, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to talk to you. Once again, these are not our ideas. They come from Pete Scazzaro. He's from, um, he's the founder of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. His stuff's very easy to find. He's got a podcast. He's got books. He's, he's excellent. So um, find him and give him a listen as well. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>